0: Welcome into another episode of the Hoop Fiends podcast. We're calling this one the Size Up Catch-Up because, well, one, it's not a Sunday when I normally do these, and two, I don't think I've done one of these in a month. Uh, That's my bad. I apologize for the lack of size ups in the NBA. Um, It's been a busy season over on the Football Fiends. We've been potting every week to help cover the playoffs and rank quarterbacks and get ready for the Super Bowl. But as the Football Fiends kind of wind down on the season, we're getting full gear back into the Hoot Fiends. So again, apologies for not really posting too much Hoot Fiends content over the past month or so. But there hasn't been a whole lot going around in the NBA, so I don't feel like we've missed too much But I'm here on a Wednesday night to kind of catch up on everything that's been going on around the league lately. Um, The first being uh, this Rivals Week thing. I swear, this has to be new. I don't think I've ever heard of it existing before. I kind of want to check if it's existed before. I probably should have done that before starting a podcast. Um, but, I don't know, I just feel like it's never been around, and I thought it was a pretty awesome, uh, this year. We had a lot of good games come out of it. Um, we had the Nuggets-Sixers, the Lakers-Celtics, we had a couple good Knicks games, the Warriors-Grizzlies. Um, it was a lot of fun, and I kind of want to recap, uh, some of the top games, all of which I pretty much mentioned right there, um... The first being the Grizzlies and Warriors. Uh, This game was awesome. Every time the Warriors and Grizzlies kind of get together in battle after everything that happened in the playoffs last year and all the comments that John Morant has made this season, there's an extra layer of just beef between these two teams and it's awesome seeing them go at it. This game was back and forth. The Warriors, Grizzlies throwing punches Um, and then the grizzlies eventually got out to a little bit of a lead in the fourth Uh, the Warriors stormed back some threes from steph and clay and then steph threw his mouthpiece and was ejected from this game which i thought was insane i get it you can't throw anything into the stands or it's an auto ejection uh but just come on refs show some leniency do something there because this game was great you just can't throw them out in a spot like that uh, but Clay and Jordan Poole ended up coming through for the Warriors and they got the win. Uh, that game was an awesome, awesome start to this Rivals Week. I couldn't find if this was new or old. I just never ex- remember this existing. I'm going out on a limb and just saying this was the first ever NBA Rivals Week because I just it just never existed. I don't even remember them announcing it. I remember them saying it was going to be a thing. But again, I'm glad it happened. Uh, the other awesome game to come from it was uh, Nuggets-Sixers, and I, I, I don't really, I don't think these teams have a rivalry. I guess the rivalry itself is between Jokic and Embiid, just as the top centers and top MVP candidates the past few years, but I don't think the teams themselves really have any beef that I can remember. Um, as far as I know, anyway, I know, like, the Jokic beef was a lot between Miami um, and the Jokic Brothers got involved. I don't remember that being really a thing. But anyway, um, it resulted in an awesome battle between the two centers going at it. And it kind of shook up the landscape of the MVP conversation a little bit. We'll dive into that um, as we get into that awards segment of the Size Up later on in the podcast. But, I mean, this was Embiid's MVP poster. Uh, I don't, I'm, I can't find the words, but... He stamped, there you go, stamped his case as I want to say the MVP favorite right now after that game. Philly's been hot since we last recorded. Um, they've won eight of their last ten games coming into tonight. Um, they just lost one against the Magic, but bounced back with another win over the Magic in a back to back. And Embiid has been on an incredible run, highlighted by this game against Jokic. When the Nuggets were up early, Embiid took over in this game, he had, let's see, he had 47 points, 18 rebounds, 5 assists, 2 blocks, and 3 steals, and now, I mean, some of the run, the run he's been on in January, 42 points, 36, 30, 30, 35, 41, 32, 26 against Brooklyn, and then 47 and 30, only one game under 30 points, absolutely insane, and he followed that up in the first game of February, 28-11-3 against the Magic, he now leads the NBA in points per game, which is insane, I didn't think it would be possible for anyone to pass Luka this year, but he is now above him at 33.6 points per game, and yeah, I just, it's going to be an insane MVP battle um, between him and the Jokic as it, the season winds down uh, but to me I don't know it's tough because Jokic has won two years in a row and he's arguably having his best season of his career um, averaging 25.1 points per game and also averaging a f- official triple-double at 11.1 rebounds and 10 assists which is absolutely crazy but these Embiid numbers are insane, and it's going to be a conversation all year. I think Philly needs to try and finish top two if Embiid really wants to make a case. Because if they finish four, five, six, or they're not going to get down that low, but three or four or five in the East, while the Nuggets have the one seed in the West, it's going to be hard to take it away and not give Jokic his third MVP in a row. But I think he's going to have a really strong case. It's amazing he didn't get voted into the All-Star game. As a starter, but I mean that's a fan vote. I, I think people were overblowing that a little bit. I mean Giannis, Tatum and, uh, Kate. I mean KD was always going to get more votes than him. Giannis probably always going to get more votes than him. I was a little surprised Tatum got more votes from him from a popularity standpoint. But again, they were in the finals last year, the top team in the East. You can't knock it. So, I don't know. I don't know what people expected. Someone was going to get left out of those four. Um, I, I don't know what you're supposed to do. I mean, yeah, he probably deserves it over KD, who is hurt and probably not going to start in the g- game anyway. And you know what? Embiid will probably start. So stop making a big deal out of it. No one really disrespected him here. I mean, the fans probably could have voted him in, but what are you going to do? I don't think it's the end of the world, uh, as people are making it out to be. Um, the other awesome game was the LeBron versus the Celtics, or I should say the Lakers versus the Celtics. Um, with the famous no call at the end of regulation with LeBron getting fouled by Tatum, the ref's not calling it, LeBron having one of his famous freakouts, absolutely insane, theatric, falling to the floor, looks like he was dying, crying, complaining to the referees. Pat Bev coming out with a camera, showing the refs they fucked up. That was one of the all-time best moments of the NBA. Him getting teed up for that was so cool. And then Tatum eventually closing things out in overtime and beating the Lakers, who are struggling and fighting and clawing their way to try and stay above 500, or trying to get back to 500, I should say. Um, This was an awesome thriller of a game. Um, to watch, and ultimately the Celtics coming out with a win. You can't say you're surprised there. Uh, but AD finally back in the lineup for the Lakers. Things have been looking a little bit better. Russ has looked good coming off the bench. Uh, they've traded for Rui Hachimura. We're not going to talk about that in the Fiends because it's really not a big deal, but he's played some okay minutes for them at the start. Uh, just, just another awesome, fun game. Uh, the Knicks were involved in a couple fun ones. They played the Nets, and they played... Uh, the Celtics themselves, they came out with a win against the Celtics. Uh, Jalen Brunson has just been fucking awesome. Like he, I think we should literally say it almost every single time we come on this pod at this point. Jalen Brunson has saved this franchise, but he really, really has. Um, and Especially in these past couple games. Especially um, against the Celtics in particular, he had 29-7. Against the Lakers in a loss, he had 37. Like, he's just... Turned into an absolutely awesome player, amazing to watch. But I'm not going to gush about him because I've been doing it a lot. Julius Randall's been great. Uh, a good win for the Knicks against Boston. Tough loss against Brooklyn, where Kyrie just dismantled them down the floor uh, in the fourth quarter. And what are you going to do? I don't, I don't think New York's beaten Brooklyn in like the past like ten meetings. It's getting really upsetting. But I'm getting used to it at this point. With or without KD, we just can't beat them. Um, but we're Still the Kings of New York, so whatever. Um, So that was a quick Rivals Weekend, or Rivals Week. I don't know what the hell it was. I've never heard of it, but God, it was awesome. I'm glad they did it. I hope they can kind of continue that in the future. There's probably ways you can make it better uh have a marquee game every single day lay out exactly what the week is i still don't even know when it started or when it finished i just know that it happened and there were some good games during it um but they're they could definitely market it a little bit better i didn't even know what was happening until it started um but yeah good idea and i think a good result for the first time they ever did it if it is the first time they did it I, i'm just claiming it's the first time they ever did it but i don't know what are, what are you gonna do Um, Now moving on into some storylines in the NBA that have been kind of going on the past month or so that we haven't really had a chance to talk about on The Fiends because we haven't recorded. We only recorded uh, an All-Star episode. We got a chance to kind of touch on a lot of the players and top players in the league and catch up on their storylines. But we didn't really get a chance to catch up on some of the storylines regarding some of the teams in the NBA, the biggest of which I want to talk about uh, is the New Orleans Pelicans who have lost nine in a row. Zion went down with the injury. They're now 26-26, and 26, the 10th seed in the West, after being the two seed and one of the best teams in the league at the start of the year. It's amazing the fall they've been on, and it's weird because, yeah, Zion went down, but they've been getting healthier. Brendan Ingram has come back into the lineup. C.J. McCollum's only missed a few games. Herb Jones has been there. Uh, Jose Alvarado's been around. Larry Nance has come back. Trey Murphy's been healthy. I mean, I'm saying guys, but for the most part, they're getting healthier. Um, the key, obviously, is Zion, and without Zion, clearly they're just not a, a huge competitor in the West. Zion makes that much of a difference and probably should have been in the MVP convo with the numbers he was putting up and the impact he had on this team. Uh, Brandon Ingram coming back has done absolutely nothing for the Pelicans. If anything, it's been making them worse. Uh, he's had some okay games. He put up 22 against Washington, 16 against Denver, 16 and 9 actually, uh, but they aren't winning with him. He's still finding his groove I still think he's overrated and still not sure he can carry them. But the real issue is C.J. McCollum hasn't been shooting well. Uh, He's near 40% from three on the season, but of late he hasn't been shooting it up to par of C.J. McCollum's standards. And that's the reason they kind of haven't really been meshing. Valanchunas is doing his thing. Uh, Like I said, Trey Murphy's been shooting the ball well. I've really been impressed by him. But there's only so much that these guys can do without their king of the court Zion he needs to get back or else this is going to be chalked up to another lost season for the Pelicans I wonder if they try and make a move they have a lot of pieces they can move a guy like Brandon Ingram Herb Jones I wonder what they're going to kind of look at Najee Marshall off the bench gives them a lot of similar stuff Herb Jones does Um, not not to knock Herb, I think Herb's a pretty fun and good player, but he's replaceable in that aspect. I don't know, if they try to move a guy like him, they move on from a guy like Dyson Daniels and just try and upgrade one of their spots in the starting lineup, but New Orleans has to figure it out because, I don't know, it's just something hasn't been clicking for them clearly, and who knows when Zion's getting back? So if they want to compete in the West, like I said, they're down to the ten seed. They're a half game out of not being in the playoffs at all. From uh, only a half game ahead of Portland, one and a half ahead of OKC, and two and two games ahead of the Lakers. So um, there's still hope for them, though they are to also two games out of the four seed. So they can things can flip on a dime in the West, uh, which will be a theme of the next couple minutes that I'm talking about, but. I'm rooting for them. I hope they can kind of figure some things out because I, I want Zion in the playoffs. I think it will be fun. Hopefully he'll be back for the playoffs. If not, that'll be more of an issue. Um, but we'll see if Brandon Ingram can help them turn things around. Um, the other team I kind of wanted to talk about um, in general was the Heat. I feel like we gave the Heat a lot of slack early in this year. They were uh, at the bottom of the East towards the 11-12 uh, but of late, they're 7 of their last 10. Uh, they're now 29-23, the 6th seed in the East, right behind Cleveland. They've overtaken New York. They've overtaken all the mediocre teams. And they're right back to where you would have expected them at the beginning of the season, which is insane. Uh, Bam is having one of the best years of his career, averaging 21.5 points, 10 rebounds, 3 assists. Um, Tyler Hero is scoring off well, in the starting lineup this year. He's been in a little bit of a funk lately, but he's been coming on strong. Jimmy Butler's been as good as advertised. Um, But it's interesting. I mean, I don't know what's different about this Heat team currently um, than it was in the beginning of the season. I think they're just finding a way to grind out wins. Uh, Jimmy Butler and Bam have been playing at a little bit of a higher level lately, but not as. I don't know. It's hard to explain. It's just Heat culture. Uh, Victor Oladipo's had good minutes and is hurt right now, but I don't know. I really don't have an explanation for this other than chalking it up to my Heat having a great culture. And I always knew they'd be back here, even though I might not have said it. Um, but I just can't take them fully serious this year. I don't see them having the firepower to take on any of the top five teams in the East. Uh, I think this is the six seed is almost exactly where they belong, if not a little bit lower. They're not better than Boston. They're not better than Milwaukee. They're not better than Philly. They're not better than Brooklyn, and they're not better than Cleveland. But they probably smoke the Knicks in a seven game series. They probably beat them five in five games. So that's kind of where they belong, and it makes sense. I think they're going to be right around here the rest of the year. Um, Kind of similar to the Warriors, how they're now up to the 7th seed at 26 and 25. They'll probably continue to get better and higher as the season goes along. They're resting guys. They're taking it easy. They know that it's a long grind. Both of these teams know exactly what they're doing. They're just playing. They know they're going to make the postseason. They're smart organizations. Uh, they're taking advantage of all these rest opportunities, even though um, that's becoming a huge topic around the league is the amount of times they're resting, the Warriors resting their guys and uh, visiting stadiums when people um, pay money to go and see the Warriors um, and make it an appointment viewing with well, oh the warriors are coming down, let's save and buy tickets for these games. And then Steph, Clay, Dre, Wiggins pool, they're not playing. Um, but that's a whole other topic. I don't really feel like getting into that today on a size up. Maybe the Who fiends could tackle that at some point. How the NBA can fix this resting and load management problem. Uh but speaking of load management, kinda wanna talk a little bit about the Clippers. Um I feel like they're an interesting topic every time uh we record one of these podcasts, or I record a size up. Uh, at this moment, they're twenty nine and twenty five, the four seed in the West, a couple of games behind Sacramento, and again, Kawhi looks to be fully back. Him and Paul are still getting load management days on backs to ba- back to backs or whatever. But this team, when fully healthy, which they are right now. They're a contender. Paul George and Kawhi are as good as a tandem as you're going to get. And they are talking about making a move. Whether it's for a guy like Fred VanVleet to bring in a point guard. They've kind of recognized that Reggie Jackson isn't the guy who's going to lead this team. So if they bring in a point guard who can help run things, John Wall off the bench has been okay, but he's not going to be the guy who's saving your team and leading your team in the postseason. If you can rely on him to just be coming off the bench for 20 minutes a game, splitting time with Reggie Jackson, and then you have your role players like Marcus Morris. Zubak's been great this year. Kennard's been pretty good. Terrence Mann's been pretty good. Norman Powell's been hot lately. They have so much depth, and Robert Covington doesn't even play And I love Robert Covington. They give minutes to Batum. Batum's a great role player. They just need one... If they brought in a guy like Van Fleet, I'd almost have them as the second best team in the West. Um, that being because I don't like Memphis. I can't stress enough how Memphis will not be good unless... Or I shouldn't say that. They will be good, but they will not be a serious threat to me until they upgrade that Dylan Brooks spot. You just can't rely on Dylan Brooks. I've been saying it for months on this podcast. It's now becoming a pretty popular takeout there on the internet. You can't win a playoff series with him. He's just not a good shooter. He's a great defender, but he's going to just lose you a game or two on his own shooting 3 of 19, and he just, no matter... You appreciate that confidence of being willing to take the shot, but sometimes you have to realize it's not my night. I have to pass up to guys like Jock, ja, guys like Bing, guys like Jaron, and he just isn't the answer, and I just can't buy into them fully until they upgrade that spot, and they need to make a move this year. It has to be done. The two seed, they're three games behind Denver for the one seed, two and a half only up on Sacramento. They need to stay in that two spot, if not make a leap, into that one spot, and making a trade will be the only way they could do that. It'll be interesting to see between them and Denver who decides to make a move. Um, Denver's talking about moving on from Bones, uh, but that's the key for those two teams is who makes the bigger deal, who upgrades uh, their weak points, the best at the trade deadline coming up, and I think that'll be the key to the West because other than Golden State, who's always going to be relevant, and maybe the Clippers, I don't see anyone as a serious threat. Sacramento's a fun story, but come on, they're not making noise in the playoffs. I think Dallas is bad. I think they're really bad. I think Luke is really amazing, but that's just it. I don't think they have a trade to make. I don't think they're going to be a relevant team in the playoffs at all. Maybe went around at the very best, but they're not making a run to the Western Conference this year. Minnesota's no threat. I don't think Phoenix is a threat this year unless Devin Booker comes back and is looking good, but Chris Paul just isn't the same Chris Paul anymore, and I don't think they have it in them to make a huge, serious run without him. Utah's not doing anything. Portland's not doing anything. Maybe New Orleans does if Zion comes back, but that's about it. That's all you could really expect there. Um, one last note in the West. I just brought him up. Uh, or I didn't bring them up I mentioned them earlier just OKC OKC is so damn fun SGA is amazing Giddy is continues to be one of the most underrated players in the league Jalen Williams is fun Lou Dort's fun Trey Mann's fun they're just fun that's it that's all I really have to say about them but I can I try and watch so many OKC games because they win SGA is super clutch and they've been a ton of fun to watch this year uh Toronto in the East, moving over back to the East, uh, is an interesting story because they're twenty-three and thirty, twelve seed in the east. Everyone kinda thought they'd be pretty solid coming into this year. Everyone likes their guys for the most part. I am probably the lowest guy in the world on Scotty Barnes. Some people are coming around on that take finally. I still think he should definitely not have won Rookie of the Year last year, considering a guy like Mobley who was in the league. Um, absolutely insane to me still that that happened just because Evan Mobley sprained his ankle for like and missed like five games that he lost that award to him uh, he can't shoot he has lost a lot of confidence in his shot he can't really make free throws um, and it's just I don't know what the real issue is Fred Van Fleet's having a bad season uh, Gary Trent's been good for them Siakam is having an all-star type season but they don't really have a center they haven't figured out a lot of different pieces and how things work um, as good as a coach of as Nick Nurse is um, it's gonna be interesting to see if they move on from a guy like Ananobi he, they've talked about him coming to the Knicks in a trade I think that'd be an awesome upgrade for the Knicks I like Ananobi a lot um, I, I wouldn't want them to give up a lot for him but I, I like the player it'll be interesting to see what they do with the deadline they can go in a million different ways they can move Siakam and fully blow it up I think they might move Van Fleet. I think the only person that they're not going to trade is Scotty Barnes, and maybe they should. That's my opinion. But no one has probably turned on him fully like me in that aspect. But I have a personal vendetta against him and a lot of different stuff, so what are you going to do? I think that's kind of it in terms of just NBA storylines I wanted to catch up on in terms of the standings and where teams are at, how things have changed in the last month. yeah, I'm looking at the standings right now. That's pretty much everything I wanted to cover. The Wizards have won six in a row, which is kind of insane. They're up to the nine seed in the East. Um, they've overtaken Indiana, who without Halliburton, they've one win in their last ten games. They've pretty much fallen out of it completely. Shows how good Halliburton is and the impact he can have on winning. Um, but I don't really, I don't buy Washington. I never will. I don't think Bradley Beal and Porzingis are going to lead a team into the playoffs. I still think they'll probably re- result in like a 10 seed or whatever. I think Chicago eventually passes them. I don't think they're going to blow it up like many people do think. Uh, maybe a guy like DeRozan does get moved and Vucevic. But other than the Lakers, I don't see a team really making a move for their guys i just don't see how it works i don't know who's making a move for those guys and that kind of brings me to the last point i wanted to make before i turn over into our gambling portion of this podcast is the trade deadline coming up and we will have a real hoot fiends pod episode to cover that um, and to break down everything that happens and everything leading up to it but It's going to be a crazy deadline because Rudy Gobert has literally ruined everything in terms of the trade market. People want first-rounders for literally everybody. They're asking for a couple first-rounders for Ananobi. They're asking for a couple first-rounders for Alex Caruso from Chicago. They're asking for first-rounders for basically anybody available. And it's like Pirtle. No one wants to trade for Pirtle like two first round picks it's an insane ask they're like well Rodrigo Bear got all this so we want this for this guy and I think it's absolutely insane I think we might be in for one of the worst trade deadlines in NBA history just an opinion I hope I'm wrong the trade deadlines are like one of my favorite times of the year so I hope I'm completely wrong like I said but these these asking prices are just insane there's so much talent around the league too so there's not a lot of super big holes on a lot of these contenders Uh, like i see a team like memphis like i said and denver those teams should be trying to make a move the clippers if they can because the west is wide open but the bottom feeders of the east like the the hawks pacers wizards heat there's no move for them they're not gonna no matter what they try and go out and acquire they're not gonna mortgage their future uh, when they're still going to have to try and compete with teams like Boston, Milwaukee, and Philly, and Brooklyn, and even the the Cavs. I think the Cavs might be the one team I can see making or trying to make a big splash because they're already up to par with those other top contenders in the East, and one big move, what I don't know what it would be, could put them, I mean, they already could beat Boston or Milwaukee, but a big move will maybe put them, like even level with them. Uh, they're not there yet. They are at could beat them at this point, but that's the one team in the East, I think, I could see making a move. But point being, I think we're in store for a very, very boring trade deadline, because I just don't see many of these teams making a move. We've only had one trade so far this year. It was Kendrick Nunn for Hachimura, and it was just a bunch of second-round picks. And... They wanted a first-round pick for Hachimura, which is crazy. Absolutely crazy. sign of things to come, I think. But, again, hope I'm wrong and looking forward to the trade deadline and covering it and talking about it and tweeting about it and reacting to it because it always is a lot of fun. I'll be excited to see what some of these teams decide to do. All right. And that'll do it for this little um, catch-up, the size-up catch-up, I'm going to call it. Kind of got to catch up on everything I wanted to talk about. So I'll move into our awards, or I I should say our futures portion of this podcast. I haven't been on to talk about the futures markets in the NBA in a very, very long time. So a lot has changed. Um, The first thing I want to talk about is the Defensive Player of the Year. This has been the biggest topic of conversation over the past month or so that we missed not having the size-ups. Um, I talked about how I thought this award was wide, wide open. Last time I was on the mic, it was Brooke Lopez as the favorite, and I said, this just isn't happening. I get it, he's had a good start to the year, but a, a plus 100 or whatever it was at the time, favorite Brooke Lopez for Defensive Player of the Year, it was never going to happen. They're never going to vote for this guy. It was just the worst bet anybody could have ever made. Um, over time Jaron Jackson came back has been averaging over three blocks a game for the Grizzlies and eventually became the favorite for the award it was at like minus 175 minus 200 and then a few days ago on Reddit it, it came out that a, a Reddit poster had a theory that the Memphis Grizzlies statistician was rigging stats and jaron jackson had a lot of illegal blocks or i don't know what the term you want to use is but illegitimate blocks that were just only at home his block numbers and steel numbers were getting boosted at home and there were theories it's like oh this guy might have money on jaron jackson defensive player of the year and how are the how is this happening how is the league allowing this this has to be looked into this might be rigged blah 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 and if you monitored the markets it adjusted with this rumor. People believed it. People were like, oh my God, if this is true, like, no one's going to trust Jaron Jackson. They're going to think he's a fraud. They're not going to actually think he's a good defender. The odds started to plummet. You saw Nick Claxton. You saw Bam. You even saw Brooke fly back into things. Jaron Jackson fell from minus 200 to even odds. Claxton and Adebayo were up to like 300, 400 underdogs. And it came out quickly. KOC tweeted about it. This is ridiculous. He looked into all the blocks that were questioned and was like, yeah, maybe there's like two or three questionable ones here. But, I mean, there's nothing of substance to what this guy's saying. I don't know if this Redditor, who had zero posts in his history, was a plant by Vegas to just try and swing the odds and get more action on Bam and Nick Claxton and these other guys, because if it was, it worked. They got a lot of action on the other side. If they were truly, really liable on Jaron Jackson, this was a smart and brilliant move by Vegas, or it was just some stupid redditor who didn't know what he was talking about. I mean, you got a great source here as a statistician for pretty much... I've done a lot of college basketball games in my life, like I would say over probably 100 to 200 games um I've never obviously done an NBA game myself but I can say that you're kind of taught as a statistician you're going into a game the people you work for they tell you like hey if you're unsure or like you couldn't tell exactly who got this block or who got this steal give it to person x give it to person y and then we'll figure it out later and I can guarantee you that whoever was working for the Grizzlies was told hey If there's a close block and you're not sure exactly who got it, just give it to Jaron Jackson, and we'll deal with the problem later and try and figure it out. And then if you can't figure it out, they just leave it as Jaron Jackson. That's kind of how it works. That's how the process unfolds. And there's a reason they're telling him Jaron Jackson. They're like, hey, he's our defensive player of the year candidate. You might as well boost his stat if it's close and you can't tell exactly what happened. As a statistician, it's nearly impossible to get every stat right perfect, every single point of the time sometimes you can't see exactly what happened from your angle the replays don't show it you can only give a best estimate or like a 95 percent chance guess at it um you're, i'm not superhuman. you can't see through people you can't see through a ref who might walk through your vision at the time it happened um that's kind of how it plays out and i think that all of that was nonsense um and i'm sure I mean, the odds indicated it as well. He's already back to a minus 200. People pointed out how stupid that was. Um, But that's a lot of fun to kind of talk about. I personally would have jumped at the chance to get Jaron Jackson at that minus 100 number because I knew, or minus 110 number, because I knew that this was pretty stupid and not an actual legit argument. Um, But there's no more value for him at minus 200. I think Bam is your best play at 650. I don't think Claxton or Brooke Lopez will win the award because I just don't think they have the name value. I don't think people are going to vote for them. Claxton is making a good argument on social media. He's pitching himself very well, and I think that's what it takes to win an award like this. Uh, but Bam's hyped himself up in the past. He said he wants to win this award. People know um he has the pedigree and the Heat have returned to relevance, so I think he would be the guy to upset Jaron Jackson if something were to happen to him. I don't think it eventually gets to Claxton in the end. Uh, sixth man. Let's take a look at quick sixth man odds. Um it's, this has interestingly changed since last time we talked. Russell Westbrook is still your minor favorite. Um I don't think he's gonna end up getting traded for the Lakers, so they're still a chance that this holds and I think he will win the award in the end if he remains the Lakers sixth man for the rest of the year so this is a tough award to try and handicap and make a pick for um Christian Wood who was one of our favorites for this award has fallen out of the running um he moved into the starting lineup and has gotten hurt so two things almost completely knocking out uh Christian Wood from the running to win this um Malcolm Brogdon is now plus 150 for this award. It's interesting he's skyrocketed. He was an early season um top contender for this award, quickly fell out of it, but is now the the runner up projected by Vegas. Um I wouldn't bet on this. I just think towards the end of the season, the Celtics are not going to be compelled to be like, "Oh, we need to run Brogdon into the ground." Um, they're going to be coasting to a top seed in the East. There's not really going to be a need for it. I'll take a look at his stats quick, just to see what, if it's been warranted for this jump. Um, obviously, they've been dealing with some injuries. Uh, Marcus Smart's been missing some time lately with injury. Um, Brogdon's been forced into a lot more uh, of a role. But, I mean, yeah, he yeah, had a 30-point game on January 14th against Charlotte. 26 against the Lakers. But, I mean, he his averages aren't eye-popping. I don't think... He's averaging 14.5, 4-3. I mean, the Celtics are one of the top teams in the East. They're always going to get media attention. But I just cannot see him garnering votes for this. I think your best play here, um, if you're not going to bet on Westbrook, which I'm not going to do and you don't believe in him like I don't, I think you got to bet on Tyrese Maxey to win this award. He was the favorite coming into the year, or one of the favorites to win most improved player. Um, he missed a lot of time. Uh, about a couple a month or so uh, with an injury earlier in the year and he's come back he's now coming off the bench for Philly the question is if he's going to remain on the bench the rest of the year and if he does I think he's an amazing amazing play uh, for this award he's averaging over 20 a game this year and that alone is going to catch the eyes of voters way over Malcolm Brogdon Um, you're basically betting on if he stays on the bench the rest of the year. And I think he might, and I think it's a great play because of that reason. Um, Like I said, I think he is definitely going to get more votes than Malcolm Brogdon if it comes down to it. Um, And there's no one else really in play. Jordan Poole at plus 6,000 is great odds. Um, He was a favorite, obviously, coming into the year, but he's now started a ton of games. I think there is a risk there. Um, you have to kind of count how many games he's starting and whether or not he'll even be eligible. I bet you he's not. I bet you that's why the odds are so crazy for him. But no one else is really in the running right now. Um, I'm going to monitor this one because I think there's value to be had. Um, again, because I just don't believe in Russ necessarily to win this or not get traded and return to a starting role somewhere. So uh, that's my take there. But be wary. I think Maxi is the play. Um, right now if you're not betting on Russ and don't believe in him. Coach of the Year, Joe Missoula still the favorite at plus 200, coaching the best team in the NBA at the time. Um, I don't have a ton of opinion on this. I would have said this is accurate in how it should have been, um, but I, I'm i a Bill guy. You all know I'm a Bill Simmons guy, and he tweets a lot of shit about how Joe Missoula doesn't do things right or screw some things up. That's literally the only um, intel I have on that is – Maybe the voters can know stuff that I don't, and a lot of general knowledge people don't know. And they're like, well, Missoula, yeah, the team's winning, but the team's amazing, the team's good. Um, they're not really winning because of him. I don't know if that's the verdict they're going to come down on. I picked him as a winner potentially of this award before the season started, so I'm going to continue to ride and believe in him. I still think Jock Vaughn at plus 600 is a great play, though. If the Nets continue their ascent to the top of the East, KD comes back, and if they can get near the Celtics um, with how bad they started and the issues with Nash in the beginning of the year um, and him getting fired, jumping in, and the Nets taking off, I think there's something to be said about that, um, personally, but uh, Mike Brown and Mike Malone, also the two Mikes in the West. A Kings coach doing good things with the Kings. They're always he's always going to have uh, a good narrative and reason to win this award. And Michael Malone, just the coach of the best team in the West, um, also have an argument. But this one's interesting as well. Um, it's hard to pinpoint exactly. I think all five guys I just or all four guys I just mentioned have a legitimate shot at it. Um, it's about timing, and I think the best value there is Jock Vaughn right now. Uh, rookie of the year again, still just, it's Palo. If he doesn't get hurt, it's Paolo. Uh, Walker Kessler has been awesome, though. He has been the second-best rookie in the NBA this year. He's plus 2,500 right now. Mathurin is still plus 550. Do not bet Mathurin. I'd bet Kessler. And if something did happen to Palo, I bet you Kessler does win this award. It's not going to be Mathurin. I don't think he's going to end up winning it. Uh, Kessler is fucking awesome. If you haven't had the chance to watch him play, watch him play. I know I'm the fan of big men and centers who get blocked, so I'm a little bit biased there, but he has been awesome for the Jazz. He's probably better than Rudy Gobert already, uh, and they destroyed them in that trade. Only more reason to destroy them. And last but not least, closing things out at MVP, um, Jokic now your favorite at minus 120. We left off um, last talking about these awards. Jokic wasn't even really in consideration. It was Luka as a plus 200 favorite with Tatum right behind him. um, And Jokic and Ja and a couple other guys kind of in the talks with Giannis. Uh, But now Joel Embiid is now plus 240. He's second in uh, the rankings I still think he has the narrative I picked him before the season started I think that game against the Nuggets on Rivals Week was huge he'd be my pick right now uh, Luka the, the Mavs just aren't good enough you're getting a little bit of value with him now at plus 500 but it, the Mavs just need to be better if they want him to win this award especially now with Embiid having better numbers than him uh, and the, I just don't think they will. So I think Luca is not a good pick for this. Tatum at plus a thousand is good value. But it's just right now, it's going to be a two-horse race between Embiid and Jokic. I would pick Embiid and bet on Embiid and endorse an Embiid bet just based on voter fatigue, that game alone, and just how things are going and how the trajectory of the league is looking. I think Philly is going to finish top three in the East. As long as I do that, I do think this is Embiid's award to lose. Uh, all right, um, last but nah. You know what? I'm going to cut it here. I don't really have much to mention um in terms of fantasy basketball i'll do a little bit of a fantasy basketball talk um, around the trade deadline because that's peak fantasy basketball season and when you have to be in tune to the waiver wire it's one of the biggest weeks of the year for fantasy basketball so maybe i'll have a bigger segment on that when i come around for the next size up but um yeah that was a 40 minute size up a lot to listen to i hope you enjoyed it i mean i told you i was making up for not having one of these in a long time i had a lot i kind of wanted to get off my chest and talk about so again we're gonna make these a weekly thing moving forward not sure if there's gonna be one this sunday probably not because it's only a couple days from now and i think we are recording a real who fiends pod next week um but so yeah i'm just gonna say it so i don't feel bad when i don't do it this will be covering. Yeah, I'm definitely not going to do it on the 5th, now that I think about it. Um, there, it's in three days from now. There's not going to be a whole lot of new stuff to talk about. Um, and we also will have, a, I mentioned we might, but we definitely will have a Real who Fiends pod next week because the trade deadline is a week from today, and we will have to cover that in some way, shape, or form. I kind of talked about it a little bit earlier on this podcast, how I think it's going to be a very quiet deadline because of all the high expectations and whatnot for different players uh there's a few teams that need to be buyers there's a few teams that should be sellers but i don't really see a point of the fiends hopping on to preview it just in case it is a quiet deadline so we could make up a bunch of fake trades we could talk about who should do what um but I think it'll be just better if we hop on after the deadline, probably that Thursday night, to recap it and talk about who did what, our favorite moves, who should have done what. It'll just be an easier topic of conversation because the worst thing we could do is hop on Wednesday and talk about a bunch of hypothetical trades of what should happen, and it is the worst deadline ever. I'm worried it could happen, so that's going to be how the Fiends handle it. I uh, haven't ran that by John O'Reilly yet, but they'll probably listen to this, and I'll probably reach out to them soon to confirm it. But I think that's the best course of action. So we will recap the deadline in some way, shape, or form. I don't know how it's going to come. I don't know when it's going to come, but probably Thursday right after it. That'd be my hope, my dream, or my my choice of action. So be on the lookout for that, and then um, then there will definitely not be a size-up on the 12th, Uh, right after that, because one, it's Super Bowl Sunday, and two, we'll just have recorded, so there'll be no point. Um, There's definitely no chance I'm recording on Super Bowl Sunday. I'm getting that out of the way now, but I will promise Sunday, February 19th, that's two Sundays from now, I will officially be back with a Sunday size up, and we will move on weekly, moving forward throughout the rest of the season, because as we get down to it, there'll be a lot to talk about as the playoff race kicks up, as the award races kick up, um, it'll be a lot to talk about and there'll be no more football, so I'll be I'll have more time to pod, I'll have more time to plan and have a lot to talk about. So um, that's a guarantee, that's a promise, that's a swear. Sunday, February nineteenth, it'll be a weekly feature moving forward, no matter what, even if we have bi weekly Who Fiends podcasts at that point, like the regular scheduled episodes, I'm doing one every Sunday or maybe sometimes Monday, but guaranteed a Sunday size up or Monday size up every single week moving forward from that point. Um, and to catch it all, you can follow us on at Pod on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. The TikTok is you have to follow it now. I promised it. It's gonna blow up soon. A couple videos have gone out. We're already getting over a thousand views on each. The Hoofiens are gonna blow up. Follow us quick. Follow us quick. And please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify if you haven't already. I we've never pitched this in the past like 2 years of doing this podcast, but I'm going to start doing it at the end of each pod cuz it really will help us out. So if you don't already subscribe, if you're one of our pals out there, just please do it. Just it'll take you 2 seconds. It'll help us out a big time. So do that for us. Um and then yeah, the over on the football fiends, uh we have a lot going on. Uh we recap championship weekend uh tomorrow, so be on the lookout Friday for uh, the latest Football Fiends episode to recap Championship Weekend, the Chiefs taking down the Bengals and uh, the Eagles taking down the Niners and also um, the finale of our quarterback rankings. So we will rank the quarterbacks one last time for the year and then we will take a look at uh, what I call the QB ranking analysis. Uh, We will try our best to, well, J.P. will try his best to guess Who was the worst quarterback of the year based on our rankings? Who was the most average? Who was the most bad? Who was the most terrible? Who was the most great? Who was the most good quarterback? All throughout the year, um, we'll do that by just basically who had the most of each ranking. It's not that difficult. It was pretty fun to put together. Um, You don't want to miss that. And then the following week, uh, the week of the Pro Bowl, we will be here for NFL Heroes and Villains and a Super Bowl preview, so two podcasts coming that week, lots going on in the Fiends network, so again, follow us on all the socials to make sure you are there for it all, and over for me, over on the Hoop Fiends, uh, we'll see you guys for the trade deadline episode in about a week, see you guys next time.